Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But the real issue is we are born with the sin nature, and it doesn't take long for us to demonstrate that, and then the older we get, not only do we demonstrate it, but we learn to cover it up and hide it. We learn to justify and excuse it. We learn to blame others for it. But none of that changes that we have a sin nature. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, A Righteous Witness. We begin our study today in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 42, and we will study through the end of chapter 6. We will be considering the plank in our eye, knowing a tree by its fruit, and building our houses on the rock. So let's listen in. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now some reading this somehow come to the conclusion, okay, stop judging, stop condemning, you know, uh, don't be a hypocrite. So, okay, I'm not going to do anything or say anything. I mean, I see people struggling, but I don't want to get involved. I, I know I have plank and in my eye and no, no, listen, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying when we recognize that we are impaired, know this, Everybody can see the plank but you. He's giving a picture that would have made the children laugh for sure and maybe even the adults because you see someone with the speck and most of us have had this experience. You're outside, the wind comes up, something goes into your eye. You're trying to get it, but you keep doing this thing and you can't find it. So you're like, hey, can you see it? You know, and you're doing that whole weird thing. And if you have somebody kind enough to, to try to help with it, that's an awesome thing. But if they come up and they've got a big old two by four hanging out their eye, you're like, whoa, no thanks, you know. <laughs> eye surgery requires somebody who can see clearly. It's so important. And, and, and so he's not saying if you have a plank, which from time to time we will, he's not saying, well, then you can't help. He's saying first deal with the plank, then you'll be able to see clearly. Don't miss this part so you can remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. It's that ministry of restoration. It's not just bringing people to Jesus, though that's primary, because without him, they perish and, and go into a Christless eternity. It's more than that, though. It's helping them day to day become more like Christ by being an example, by sharing his word and, and by trying to help them deal with those things that are hindering them. And that's what the speck represent, the plank, obviously serious impairment. But whether it's someone who is spiritually blind or someone who's got a speck or someone who has a plank, in every case, the goal is the same, spiritual restoration. You who are spiritual, Galatians says, if you see a brother in sin, you who are spiritual, go to him and restore him in a spirit of meekness and humility, lest you likewise be tempted. You will see brothers in sin, by the way. All you got to do is hang out. I mean, it's going to happen. We all fall short of the glory of God. It's, I wish it were past tense, but it's present tense. It still happens. So the question is, when I see my brother in sin, what am I going to do? He says, well, here's what you used to do and what you normally would do. You judge and condemn him. So stop that and instead be forgiving and giving and then do something to help them 
with the sin they're struggling with. Remove the plank, then remove the speck. And if you think again, well, you who are spiritual, that's not me. He's talking to those who are listening to the Spirit, who are led of the Spirit, who are empowered by the Spirit. He's not talking about super spiritual. He's just talking about not walking after the flesh, not living a carnal life, somebody who actually cares for the spiritual things. Well, then he goes on to say, a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." Now he gives us a couple contrasts. First is the good tree and the bad tree. And this is very simple. The word good means sound, healthy, or whole. The word bad means corrupted or worthless or rotten or harmful. And so if you have a healthy tree, it's going to have healthy fruit. If you have a, an unhealthy bad tree, it's going to bring forth bad fruit. And that's all he's saying. And you can recognize one from the other. He says men don't gather figs from thorns. Of course not. Figs are profitable and useful and, and thorns, well, they're a part of the curse. And then he says you don't get grapes from a bramble bush. If you don't know what a bramble bush is, we call them tumbleweeds. He says grapes don't grow on that. In fact, nothing grows on that. It's a useless if there is such a thing as useless, a tumbleweed is useless. And so he's saying that's what the difference is between one and the other. Now, he does something interesting. He compares a good tree to a bad tree, and then he compares a, a, a good man to not a bad man. I was thinking, I wonder, you know, like my parents were the first to be raised with Dr. Spock. I don't mean the cool Spock with the pointy ears from Star Trek. I mean the, the, the other Spock that wrote the book saying you don't want to tell your kid they're bad. You just say, oh, you're good, but you did a bad thing or you did a naughty thing. No, here's something interesting. God even doesn't call a man bad. He calls him evil. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's worse. And we need to get past whatever's going on culturally because men are constantly redefining what God has been so clear about. Man is inherently born in sin and therefore evil. It's, it's not just that society corrupts us, though certainly bad company corrupts good manners. It says so in scripture. It's not just that, that our, our, you know, we're born, you know, into a family where there's no perfection because there are no perfect people. Those things are an issue. But the real issue is we are born with the sin nature. And it doesn't take long for us to demonstrate that. And then the older we get, not only do we demonstrate it, but we learn to cover it up and hide it. We learn to justify and excuse it. We learn to blame others for it. But none of that changes that we have a sin nature and that we need God's forgiveness. So he says, you can recognize a good tree by the fruit. 
You'll recognize a bad tree by the fruit. You'll recognize a good man. And, and check this out. God is good. His word is good. His commandments is, are good. His law is good. His works are good. His gifts are good. So a good man biblically will be someone submitted to God's will. Sharing God's word, doing God's work, using God's gifts for God's glory. It's not just that I'm not doing all the bad stuff I used to do, but I'm living and spending my life's capital for him. And, and that's not a call of a few. That is a call for all. Well, an evil man is evil not only inherently, though he is evil inherently, but in his effect, in his influence, the, the fruit of his lips, worthless, rotten, deceitful fruit. Now, you know that God judges righteously. I love that. God looks on the heart. And, and one reason I so appreciate it, it means he's always known all there is to know about me. The things that even Pam will never know because I was too ashamed to, to tell her and I had a life before her and, and, and it's like those things. And if you're thinking, whoa, pastor was really bad. No, worse than you think. You know, just that's the truth. But you're worse than you let on too. I'm just being honest. And the reality is God always knew the truth about me and he knows the truth about you. But he still loves us. He still chose us. He still sent, sent his son to die for us. And if it were anything else, if God couldn't see the truth about me, if I could hide it from God, I could never have the security I have in him now. Knowing he knows everything and still accepted me and loved me and forgave me and still sent his son to die for me. Here's the problem, though. God's the only one that looks on the heart. I have such good intentions. I almost always want to do the right thing, but I don't always do the right thing. And I certainly don't always say the right thing. Part of that is I speak fast and in the multitude of words, the scripture says sin is not lacking. That's going to be true for you too. So here's the issue. People see what we do and they listen to what we say. That's the only way they can judge us. And, and while he tells us not to judge them, we can't say, oh, you're not supposed to judge me. It says they, they're, not, they're not the ones who have the word of God. They're not the ones who have the spirit of God. They're not the ones. And so later you can say, once they give their life to the Lord, hey, let's stop judging each other. Let's stop condemning each other. As, as we're saying today and seeing today. But people judge us by the fruit we bear and they judge us by the things we share. And if they examine our lives and we're just as critical and just as spiteful and just as greedy and just as unforgiving and unmerciful as anyone else, they look and they discount him. That's the real tragedy. It's bad enough that they think you're not genuine, but they think he's not for real because we're representing him. We are bought with a price. We no longer are our own. Well, the things we share, he says, a good man shares out of the good treasure of his heart. The evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words testify to the condition of our heart. And if I've had a broken heart and a transformed heart and a changed heart and the good seed of God's truth is planted in my heart, I'm going to speak words that build up and encourage. My prayer every time we get together is that you would leave this place 
more encouraged that you came in, more excited about getting to know the Lord and becoming transformed by the Lord in the process than, than you've ever been. And I realized that, that, well, you know I'm always going to share that you're a sinner and in need of repentance, and that's not true only for those who've yet to give their lives to Christ. No, that's, that's true for the ones that know. John the Baptist wasn't calling only outsiders to repent. He was calling insiders to repent. It's why he had so many problems with the insiders. But your words and my words are either going to build up or tear down, either encourage or discourage, either represent or misrepresent our Lord. And then he asked a question in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now, good teachers ask good questions and no teacher is a better teacher than Jesus. I mean, we're never going to find anyone like him. And, and there are a couple other questions that I want to couple with this one. And, and you'll see why. The first is, who do men say that I am? We'll probably find this later on in our study. But, but that question is so important because the answers today are the same answers people gave then. Some say you're a great teacher. Some say you're a great miracle worker, a wonderful example, a prophet. Some say, some say the opinions about Jesus varied and will vary. But he says, who do you say I am after asking who do men say I am? And this is life's most important question. Before we get to why do you call me Lord, Lord, we need to ask, are you calling him Lord? Do you acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and have you surrendered your life so that he is actually your Lord? Because who you believe him to be will determine what you do with the knowledge you have of him. He says, why say Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Well, do you even know he's the Lord? Who do you believe he is? I had an interesting experience on my plane ride back from London. I got to sit next to a guy who told me that he was uh, responsible for the conceptually, at least. And I think even beyond that of the dual processor. And, and so he's a computer guy. He's from Jordan. He's Muslim. He uh, lives in Seattle, but, but uh, he's got offices in London and he's got offices in uh, India and other places. So we're on a 10 and a half hour plane ride together. You know we're going to get to talk. I ask what he does. He says he's into computers. I, I usually don't tell people right away, but I just told him I was a pastor. So he knew there's no reason to talk about computers with me because Lord knows we know nothing about him, most of us. So we, we went right to the spiritual. And I love this because he started asking the questions. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not the kind that that's trying to give people answers they're not asking, trying to tell them what they need to do if they're not even interested. I, I will try to bring the subject around. But but if someone just is flat out not interested, I'll leave them be. And, and I'm convinced that God is stirring hearts, that people are hungry. So I'm just always, Lord, show me who and, and make it work. Well, he began to ask me some questions. He says, well, aren't there a lot of similarities in the Muslim and, and Christian religion? I said, even more than that. Muslims, Jews and Christians all are monotheistic. We have that in common. And in a world where there are people who are atheists who say there isn't a God at all, 
Though I don't know how they could know that. Uh, or those people who are polytheistic that believe there are millions and billions of God, as the Hindus believe. Or those who are pantheistic, they think that God is actually in nature, so they worship Mother Earth. Jews, Muslims, and Christians all believe there is one true and living God. Now, I don't believe we have the same guy, but I do believe we have that in common. Then I said, there's even more. There's Abraham. Jews, Muslims, and Christians all trace themselves back to Abraham. And we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. When you go through the book of Genesis, it's Joseph because he gets 11 chapters. It's Judah, though, when you realize Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So here's the point. We as Christians, we trace ourselves back to Abraham because the promises were made to him through his descendant, his seed, singular, all nations would be blessed. That seed, that descendant is Jesus. And that's what I got to share with him, that, that this is where it breaks down. We have this in common. We have this in common. Here's the ultimate core issue of what we have that we don't have in common is that Jews don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. You guys don't even believe it's through Isaac. We, we, they get off immediately. There's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're like, no, it's Abraham, Ishmael. Why? They're descendants of Ishmael. So, so they're like, no, it is not him, it's him. And, and so there's a division immediately, but ultimately it comes down to this. How is a Jew going to be saved? What can he do to reconcile himself to a holy God? And what can a Muslim do to reconcile himself to a holy God? Or what can someone born in what we call a Christian nation do to reconcile himself to a holy God? Jesus says there's nothing you can do except believe in him. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Now, I share that with you because, well, that's the message that Jesus proclaims. I shared it with him. I wish I could say when he said, whoa, well, can I pray right now? I mean, I would have loved that. But I'm just grateful that I got to share the seed of truth in a heart that certainly was receptive and genuine. The interaction was great. We exchanged numbers. And, 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 and so the, the point is this, that, that this question, who do you say Jesus is? He was right in that pocket. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He says the Quran says that we should venerate him and respect him. And, and I'm like, man, the Bible says you should worship him. He's the Lord. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And, and so it's who do you men say I am? Who do you say I am? Life's most important questions. And then the question, why call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Jesus says the day will come when many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do wonders in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, he says. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. And you really need to consider that statement because he, he's saying, when he says, I never knew you, he can't mean I didn't know who you were or didn't know about you. No, he knows everything about every one of us. He's saying, you're saying, Lord, Lord, but that was never true. Oh, I'm the Lord, but I was never your Lord because you never submitted to my Lordship. That's why he calls their works, though the works are certainly good works. Lawlessness, they were done for their own reasons, with their own motivations, not for his glory, not in response to his goodness. 
So, so the question, why say, Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? At the least, it's inconsistent. At the worst, it's untrue. In other words, if he's your Lord, obey him. That's what this is all coming down to. And if he's not your Lord, surrender your life to him. Make him your Lord. Lord, by the way, implies a master-servant relationship, a mentor-apprentice relationship. It's not like boss and employee. It's more than that. It's intimate, not casual. And so he's saying, if you call me Lord, obey me. And then he gives us two pictures and we conclude with them. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. Matthew's gospel calls the guy who hears and obeys a wise man. And if you're wise, you'll agree. He's saying, this is how it works. You hear the truth, you apply it, you obey it. You're building on a solid foundation. Why is that important? The storms are going to come. Now again, physical picture, spiritual lesson. The storms he's talking about are the storms he's been talking about. The trials, the tribulation, the hatred, the rejection, the slander, the mocking. Listen, he's saying all that's going to happen. But if you're on the solid foundation, if you're built on the rock and through the Old Testament and into the New, he is the only foundation. No other foundation can be laid but Jesus Christ. We build on him. The storms are going to come, but we're going to stand in the midst of the storm. He who heard and did nothing, verse 49, is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Again, Matthew's gospel calls this man a foolish man and only a fool would disagree. If you've ever driven up to uh, Tahoe, the back way through Truckee, there's this stretch where you go alongside the river where the river has come up obviously multiple times. And there were a slew of just beautiful houses right on the river with this mountain behind them. And I'm like, man, I wish I had a place up there just to get away, to enjoy that beauty. You know, you throw your fishing line in right off of your porch. But I drove by one time with Pam on our way up to a conference in Tahoe and, and half of these houses were just sideways and devastated and destroyed. And, and, and she looked at me and I looked at her and we didn't have to say anything. We both thought of this immediately. Man, they should have laid a more secure foundation. They should have made sure that thing was anchored. And, and, and what he's saying is the storms are going to come. And the wise man is going to build on the truth, obey the truth. That's how we build on it. And the fool is going to do nothing about it, going to hear it, maybe even say, well, I believe it. I acknowledge it. But nothing changes. So what are we to do with the things he commands and teaches? Well, stop judging and stop condemning. Be forgiving and giving. Clear away the plank and then carefully and lovingly deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Make your calling and election sure. See the words you speak as treasure. 
test the condition of your heart by them. Finally, obey the Lord's every command that you can stand in the day of trial, in the midst of the storm, that you might be a righteous witness for Him. The very idea of obedience is something that can actually frighten many unbelievers. Living in a world full of those who would deceive them and take advantage of them, the idea of obedience can go against their instincts to watch out for themselves, and many times it goes against the pride of life that says that they are in control. We got this. Think of what we are told in 1 Peter 1.14 where it says that we are to rest our hopes fully on God's grace and for us to be like obedient children, not conforming ourselves to our former lusts as in our ignorance. You see, obedience comes much easier when we understand who we are being obedient to. When we understand that God always has our best interests in mind, we no longer need to rely on our former lusts and our distrust that made obedience so difficult, because we are, as Peter proclaimed, no longer ignorant of the goodness of God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.